This morning we are closing out uh, our series on this New Testament book of James, uh, probably the longest series that we've ever done. This is our 11th week on it. We've kind of just gone verse by verse, section by section. I hope you've been blessed by the series. I have. Um, James has packed this letter. That's what a book of the Bible is in most cases, uh, or in many cases, I should say, is a letter to a church. And James has packed his letter full of just very, very practical theology. We haven't talked a whole lot about James himself, and that's good because the Bible's not about James. It's not about Paul. It's not about Peter. It's about Jesus. Somebody say amen. But along the way, we have learned a few things about James. Uh, last week, we learned that he had a very unique, uh, very unique nickname, and it was uh, his Camel Knees. Camel Knees. Guys, if you're looking for a cute nickname for your girlfriend, Camel Knees is already taken. All right? But, but the, reason, the reason they called him that is because James actually spent so much time on his knees in prayer that his knees were actually misshapen and looked like the knees of a camel. That says a lot about his heart that says a lot about his character and let me tell you something else that speaks volumes about his character it's in the way that he dies I hate to start the sermon or the message on a sad note but it is important to know that James is martyred he is killed for his faith most theologians believe that he was stoned to death which is just a horrible horrible way to to die and here's the clincher James was not killed for something he did he was killed for something he believed for a moment James is the half brother of Jesus and while Jesus is alive on this earth James did not believe that Jesus was God Um, But after Jesus rose from the grave, James believes in him, follows him into the ministry. He becomes the pastor uh, at the church of Jerusalem. And then at some point, such hatred rises against Christianity to the point where James is killed because of what he believes. Church, you may not know this, or maybe you do, but almost all of our early church leaders were murdered for what they believed. Almost all of them. And to me, this is one of the greatest evidences of Christianity. These men could have denied the Lord. They could have kept their faith secret. They could have quit preaching. And in the process, they they would have lived. But instead, they chose to die rather than deny the Lord. It's important for us to understand our spiritual heritage because there are scores of not only men, but women and even children who have literally laid down their lives so that you and I, generations later, could know Jesus. Therefore, we cannot sit down, even as laws in our nation are being written that in some cases will make our faith criminal, we cannot shut up. Even when our faith isn't popular, the church of Jesus Christ must continue to call people to repentance, being a light in the darkness, and sharing the good news of His redemption. Can somebody say amen this morning? James chapter 5 and verse 19 is where we will begin. James 5, 19. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. James chooses to close out this letter with two verses 
about what we might call spiritual restoration. Spiritual restoration. The big idea is, is that sometimes we get off track. Sometimes we wander. And it is the duty of the church to help one another find our way back to the Lord. Spiritual restoration. It's one of the most beautiful aspects of the Christian faith that when I would wander, when I would get off track, that I would have a brother or a sister who loves me enough to come to me and gently and humbly say, brother, I'm, I'm concerned about you. I feel like maybe you're getting off track. How is your walk with the Lord? Are, are you okay? Is there anything I can help you with? Is there anything I can uh, pray uh, with you about? That's, that's the duty of the church. Now, there are just two verses here, uh, but as with all of his writing, James packs a big punch in two verses, so let's break it down together. Again, verse 19, brethren, and this applies to sister and two, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, everyone say the truth. If you're watching online, just type in the chat the truth. We're going to talk about the truth for just a moment. The first thing that we need to recognize and point out is the idea that James believes there is a truth. He believes there is a truth. Our society today tells us that truth can be defined by each of us. Our society tells us that truth changes in every situation. So what's true for me may not necessarily be true for you. There are no absolute truths in this world. Every truth is relative. So for example, if I believe adultery is wrong, then it's wrong for me. But if you believe it's okay, then it's okay for you. <laughs> that's, that's the teaching of the world system. But James says, no, no. There is truth, and we often wander from it. You see, if truth was relative, then we couldn't wander from it. Instead, it would wander with us. <laughs> truth would change. It would twist and turn like we do. But James says, no, truth is a straight line. And it is our propensity to wander from it. Well, okay, Pastor James. If, if there is a truth, then, then what is it? Well, Jesus himself actually gives us some clues. Let's go over to John 17. I love John 17 because Jesus is praying not only for his disciples in the church of his day, but Jesus is praying for you and I, the future church. And this is what he prays in verse 15. He said, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. He's praying to his father, but that you should keep them from the evil one who later he called the ruler of this world. Verse 16, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. And then finally, 17, sanctify them. A big spiritual word means set them apart, Father. Sanctify them by your truth. Okay, Jesus, what is the truth? And then he says, your word is truth. Jesus says that truth is the word of God. Where do we find the words of God? <laughs> in our Bibles, right? A church in Nashville recently made headlines because it released a meme and a message saying that the Bible is not the word of God. And it's kind of ironic because last week I told you that this is the trend in progressive Christianity is actually to lift Jesus up out of the scriptures and attempt to define him apart from the Bible. 
You see, there are some churches that want to maintain their friendship with this world so badly that instead of calling our culture to repentance, they simply change what they teach and now they have drifted so far that they'll even say the Bible is not the Word of God. Now many people were shocked that this church would just come out and so boldly proclaim this, but we shouldn't be surprised. The Bible tells us that this would happen. Let's go to 2 Timothy 4 and verse 1. The Apostle Paul is the experienced apostle. He's writing to a young pastor, his spiritual son, named Timothy. And this is what he says, verse 1. I charge you. I charge you. Now, this is a big deal. You, you and I might say, Gary, pay attention. Doris, Doris look at me a minute. It's like newsflash. It's like breaking news. The Apostle Paul is saying, listen, Timothy, I charge you. This is a big deal, Timothy. This is your mission in life. He says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Timothy, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, they're paying attention to what I'm about to tell you, you young pastor. He said, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing, his second coming, as you and I talked about a couple of weeks ago, and his kingdom. And this is the charge that the older, more experienced apostle gives to the young pastor. Look at it in verse 2. Three words. Preach the word. Preach the word. Timothy, this is your job. It's to preach the word. It's not to preach the news. It's not to preach what's popular today. It's not to preach, you know, relative truth and, and this might be good for you and maybe it's not good for me and this might be good for me. And if no, preach the word. Timothy, don't walk into the pulpit with a reader's digest in your hand or somebody's blog that you printed off of the internet. Timothy, when you get into the pulpit, plant your feet firmly behind the pulpit, pick up the word of God and preach the word. He says, be ready in season and out of season, convince and rebuke and exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Verse 3, look at this. For the time will come. Somebody say it's here. The time will come. Our Bibles, our prophetic books, it, it tells not only history, tells us not only what's going on in the church of that time, but it tells us the future. He said, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will find somebody who will teach what they want them to teach called a hireling, called, if a person stands behind a pulpit just because a pulpit committee or a congregation voted them into that church, that does not mean they are called by God. 
True men and women of God are, are not chosen by popular vote. They are in the ministry because at some point in their lives, the Spirit of the Lord has got a hold of their heart, arrested their attention, and it's like fire shut up in their bones. They have to serve God. That's the kind of man or woman you want preaching the Word of God. Not someone who just applied for a job. A called person. He says, because Timothy, people are going to have itching ears. They're, they're, they're not going to want sound doctrine. They're not going to want the Bible. They're going to want something else. And they are going to heap up for themselves teachers who will teach what they want to hear. Verse 4, and they will turn their ears away from the... Can we put that up there? Do we have that? Verse 4. And they will turn their ears from the... I'll just read it to you. The truth. And be turned aside to fables. James says, we're going to wander from the truth. Paul says, we're going to turn away, turn our ears away, the churches, from the truth. I'm not done though. The apostle Peter had something to say about this as well. Look at 2 Peter 2, verse 1. He says, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there were false teachers among you in, in the church who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the truth will be blasphemed. The early church leaders knew that there would come a time where even the church would wander from the truth of the Word of God. This church in Nashville, they made headlines, but many churches are headed in the same direction. They have a low view of the Bible, and they are reducing Jesus to just another teacher, just another philosopher, just another way to God. He's an inspiring figure, but they are denying that he himself is truth because Jesus said in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, we don't worship a book. We worship God who gave us a book. And our Bibles helped reveal to us the character and nature of God. They help reveal to us His love and His wrath. They help reveal to us our character and nature. And they tell us His future plans. Now more than ever, we need to be studying and living by this book it is the truth let's look back at verse 19 brethren if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back someone turns him back now this phrase is, is is very interesting to me because we do live in this age of moral relativism one of the things we hear all the time is hey don't judge me don't you dare judge me it's what i do with my life is none of your business but James says it's actually the obligation of a Jesus follower that when we see someone wandering from the truth, we need to try and, 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 and help them find their way back to it. Now, I will admit uh, it's tricky. And it's tricky for many reasons because no one really likes to be corrected. But perhaps it's because we do not see correction through a biblical lens. I'm going to need a volunteer for an illustration. Oh, I see a strapping young man back there. Come on up. Come on up front. Let's just come to the platform a minute. I think in our culture, because of our father wounds, 
because of many reasons, we struggle, we struggle to see correction as an expression of love. How are you, sir? It's good to see you. Good to see you. I'm glad you have your mask on. I'm going to ask you to double mask, please. Okay. This one, can you put it over your eyes, please? All right. Now, you got you to trust me. I'm going to take you, and I'm just going to pull you back here, okay? <sighs> Ricky, do you trust me? Yes. All right. Here's, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to walk toward the edge of the platform. Okay, hold on a second. Hold on a second. And, and I'm going to stop you before you walk off the edge and get hurt, okay? You trust me? All right, do you trust your church family? Yes. Stay right there a second. Can you people be trusted? Now, some of y'all, the Karens in the group, I do not want you yelling, stop, when he takes two steps, all right? Because we're doing an illustration here. I I want you to let him get to about right here, okay? He can't see what's going on. And then I want you to yell, stop, okay? Can I trust you? All right. All right, Ricky, I want to ask you to go ahead and walk toward the edge of the platform. No fear. We'll let you know when you should stop. (laughs) Brother, did you not hear me tell everyone that the truth is a straight line? (laughs) My goodness, what are you drinking this morning? He he had extra caffeine. All right, we're going to try this again. Just come on back. Come on back. If you have small children or something valuable with you, hold on to it. The man is out of control. All right, I'm going to need you to walk a straight line. Go ahead and walk. <laughs> Should we? Some of you are like, let him go, let him go. A little bit further. Take two steps. One small step. <laughs> All right. Why did we stop him? We don't want him to get hurt, right? (laughs) And the fact that we don't want him to get hurt, isn't that an expression of our love? So when we tell him to stop because we're trying to protect him, we're not hating him. We're not trying to humiliate him. We're not trying to put him down. We love him and we don't want him to get hurt. And so when we see him heading in a direction that could hurt him, as his church family, we're going to say, stop. You see, correction is an expression of love. You can take your mask off. Give Ricky a big hand. Thank you, sir. If anyone has an extra iPhone, I'm probably in the, uh, probably in the market for one because I'm not sure if mine survived that. Friends, we're not told to be mean-spirited or hateful. Sometimes Christians have done that. Christians have been judgmental. And they've taken long, bony fingers and they've stuck them in people's faces. And and they've just just been mean. That's that's not being Christ-like. That's not what we're called to do. But we are called to speak the truth in love. And if we do that in a godly way, God can actually use us to keep others from hurting themselves. It's not being hateful. It's not being judgmental. It's being loving. 
I remember as a young man in my early 20s, I was what I would call spiritually curious. We weren't going to church. I wasn't really seeking God, but I, I always knew God existed. I'd gone to church as a child. And, and on the inside, God was doing something. He was, he was drawing me. And uh, at that time, what I was doing for a living is uh, I was running a music store. And I had a young son, just one child at the time. Patty and I had uh, we called Little Dave. He was probably three or four years old at the time. And, and he would go to work with me. And to help, help keep him occupied, when a customer would come in, I had a little, I think it was about a 13-inch, maybe even smaller, I don't know, black and white TV. How many remember those things? Right, And I had one of those, and it probably got, I don't know, 13 channels or something like that. And when I saw a customer coming in the door, I would just reach down, I'd turn on that TV, try to help keep him occupied, and then I would wait on the customer. So I'm in there one day, and a young man by the name of Scott came in. Scott was a college student. Uh, I knew Scott was involved in some ministry. He went to church. Um, And as I'm, I'm selling him his guitar strings and his picks or whatever he's buying, he comes up to the counter, he looks over the counter, and he sees little Dave sitting in front of that 13 inch black and white TV watching uh, a show. And he looked at me and he said, are you going to let him watch that? And I turned around and looked and it was a, uh, a show. You might remember a young lady by the name of Ricky Lake. Anyone remember Ricky Lake? Uh, Ricky Lake had a show, if you don't know what it was, but she basically exploited immorality, kind of like Jerry Springer would. And Scott looks at me, and he's not mean about it, but he just says, you're going to let your son watch that. Now, here's the deal. It wasn't that I chose the show for him. I I just turned it on. But it wasn't that I chose it. It was actually worse than that. I was so spiritually dull that I didn't even realize how trashy it was and the fact that it wasn't fitting for me to watch, let alone a four-year-old boy. Now, I could have got mad at Scott. I could have gave him a piece of my mind, told him to mind my own business, give him a head, head shake, and threw him out of the store. But instead, God used the words of a college student to open my eyes to see that I was not living in the truth. I don't know where Scott is today. I don't know what he ended up doing with his life, but I have thanked God many times that Scott had the love and the courage to call me to truth. Friends, I need, I need to talk to some of you today or maybe some who are watching online or listening on the radio. You are exactly where I was. It's it's not that you don't want anything to do with God. You do. That's, that's why you're here. That's why you're watching. That's why you're listening. But if you're to be honest, you would, you would say the world has discipled you so much that you don't even know what truth is. And you believe everything you're told. The greatest influencers in your life are people that do not know God. TV and social media and Hollywood and politicians have defined truth for you and now they are defining it for your kids. It's time to turn off that TV. It's time to get into the word of God. It's time to be in church every week and it's time to get serious about living in the truth. Proverbs 23 and verse 23 says, buy the truth and sell it not. It's that important. It's that precious. God's calling you today.
to live in his truth. And I want to say this, if you're the parent of a, of a teenager or a preteen who decided that they no longer want to come to church, I'm going to ask you this, mom and dad, what in the world is wrong with you? It's interesting how we can get quiet in here, can it? I mean, we go from loud to, oh, praise the Lord. Yes, come on, preach it, pastor, to crickets. Here's the deal. You don't let them decide whether they're going to go to school or not. You, you don't, there's lots of things you don't let them decide. Why would you let them decide whether or not they're going to come to church and worship God? Well, Pastor, I just believe they can make their own decisions. And Listen, here's what I want you to do. If you've got some teenagers, preteens, whatever, they don't want to come to church. You need to go in. You need to give them. As long as you live under my roof. Amen. Now, listen, don't start there. Don't start here. Start here. On about Thursday, on about Thursday, say, hey, hey, y'all. Get everyone together. Say, hey, y'all. I really want Sunday to, for us to spend some time together as a family. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to get up and, and we're going we're gonna to get up. I'm going to let you sleep in a little bit, but, but then we're going to get up and, and we're going to go over to Little Sandy's. And we're going to have some breakfast together. You can get whatever you want. Biscuits and gravy, you can get a side of gravy as your beverage. That's what we do in West Virginia. Whatever you want, hash browns, bacon, get extra bacon, whatever you want. We're just going to get together and we're going to have a nice breakfast together over there at Little Sandy's. And then we're going to go down to Crossroads for the 11 o'clock service. We're going to worship God as a family. Or if that doesn't work for you, go the other route. Just go the other route and say, hey, we're going to get up and we're going to go to church on Sunday together as a family because I want to spend some time with you. We want to learn the word of God together. We want to fellowship and, and worship together. And then we're going to go out to lunch wherever you want. You can pick where we're going to go to lunch. Get whatever you want. We're just going to have a good time together. Start there on about Thursday. Now, if they buck you and rebel, then you go, as long as you live under this roof. <laughs> I'm giving you some real practical parenting advice here. Listen, church, we're joking. We're trying to make the truth a little, <laughs> a little easier to swallow, but it is the truth. Listen to what I'm about to say here. Your family and your church, it's the only place your kids are going to hear the truth. Your family, your home... And your church is the only place your kids are going to hear the truth. The world has already decided there is no truth. Okay? So the folks in Hollywood are not gathered together in a prayer meeting this morning trying to figure out how they can get the word of God into the hearts of your kids. They're not doing it. You understand me? People in Washington, D.C. today, they're not gathered together and they're going, wow, how could we take this Bible verse and really implant it into the hearts of our nation's children? Your church and your family is the only place your kids are going to hear truth.
James says, when we see someone drifting from the truth, we're to help them turn around. Spiritual restoration. It's one of the most beautiful aspects of the Christian faith. And in fact, it it sets us apart from the world system. I don't know if you've noticed, but the world system has, has adopted a cancel culture. And the cancel culture operates without things like grace and mercy and forgiveness. It's, it's just, it's amazing to see what is happening, that people will dig into your past and, and find things to shame you as a means uh, of control. But look at, look at what Galatians 6 and verse 1 says. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore. Everyone say restore. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The world uses shame to, to try to control people. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The world says, I'm going to punish you. I'm going to make you pay for what you did. But, but this is what the Bible, and I'm not talking about crimes, Okay, I'm talking about sometimes we do stupid stuff. We say stupid stuff. We, we take pictures we, we shouldn't have or, or whatever. We all make mistakes. But the word of God says, hey, brother, hey, sister, I'm concerned about you. It looks like you're wandering from the truth. Listen, brother, I'm no better than you. And I realize I could very easily make the same mistake you're making right now. In fact, I probably have. But let me help you find your way back to Jesus. Jesus' followers have a holy obligation to bring correction to those who wander. But we do it in a way that is still loving, that is gentle, and still values the person. I'm going to ask our band to come and get in place and... We're going to do one more song here. But before we do, I, I want to ask you a, a reflection question, okay? We've been, we've been talking about Ricky, right? Ricky got up here, and he was going the wrong way, and we stopped him. But what about us? I'll ask you the question, but I'm asking it to me too, okay? Are, are you correctable? Are, are you teachable? Like... Is there anyone close enough to you in your life that could could speak into your life if they saw you wandering from the truth? Like at work, do you you carry a presence that makes people dread to correct you? Like, I don't want to say anything to her. She's going to fly off the handle. I don't want to say anything to him. It's like walking on eggshells. He's got a temper. That's not Christ-like. Does your boss have an ulcer? Because they got to deal with you and your attitude. Just asking. Just asking. How about at home? Do you ever recognize when you're wrong? Do you ever acknowledge that? Do you ever, do you ever apologize? What about at church? Does a sermon ever speak to you? Or do you sit there every Sunday and go... Man, he's preaching good. I hope my wife is hearing this today. (laughs) Maybe God ain't speaking to your wife. Maybe he's speaking to you, bonehead. That's a Greek word. uh... Look at this scripture. 
Proverbs 12 and verse 1. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. Just look at your neighbor and say, don't be stupid. Come on, you've been wanting to do this. Just don't be stupid. Some of the biggest growth times in my life are when people found me wandering, just wandering, and they brought me back to the truth. I told you the story about Scott in the music store when I was just a baby believer, but there are times when now I get off track. I remember a few years ago I preached a sermon and I'm passionate when I preach. You know I am. But don't, don't mistake passion for anger. But there was one time I preached and I was really angry. And after the service, one of our elders called me and says, Dave, uh, about that sermon today, you seemed really angry. <laughs> I said, I, I was. He said, you know, that's not good to take into the pulpit like that. And I said, yes, sir. You're right. I didn't even feel good about it. I, went, I, was, I was upset when I left. I, I couldn't believe I'd let myself get there. What did he do? He loved me, had courage enough. Say, brother, I'm not condemning you. I'm not, I'm not trying to humiliate you or embarrass you. I, I love you. Let's help get you back on track. You're wandering, wandering from the truth. This year, we've seen a lot of, this past year, I should say, seen a lot of high-profile, well-known pastors fall from grace. Sad, because many of them have done great works for God. And I often wonder, like, surely somebody close to that guy saw him wandering. But did he, did he open himself up enough to let someone speak into his life? If he had, maybe, maybe they could have got him back to the truth before destruction We've covered a lot of ground today. But here's the deal with Jesus. When we're wandering, when we're struggling, he's, he's there like, like the woman, you know, like he was with the woman caught in adultery. And after he got rid of her accusers, he said, I don't condemn you anymore. But he said, go. But he added this, and sin no more. He didn't humiliate her, but he didn't ignore her sin. And maybe you're, you're with us today in this service this morning. It's like a friend putting their hand on your shoulder and saying, brother, sister, you're wandering from the truth. It's time to come home. Let's pray and we're going to sing one more song. Father, I thank you for your incredible grace offered up to each one of us. Lord, let us hear the voice of the Holy Spirit today. There's something in our lives you're convicting us of. I know, I know it's not a voice of condemnation, but you're drawing us to you, to yourself. You're, you're saying like the, like the prodigal, come home. Come home. You're not going to find shame. You're, you're going to find love. You're going to find mercy. You're going to find forgiveness. 
Draw us today.